Every day at America's Card Room, players just like you are scoring big in record time with Jackpot Poker. Jackpot Poker is a super fast three-player online poker set and go. You pick the buy-in, and after all three players are seated, we randomly pick the jackpot. Yep, just three players. No more, no less. And for most jackpot poker tournaments, it's winner take all. Imagine turning a $40 buy-in into the ultimate $100,000 game of poker. Anything could happen with jackpot poker. Play it now at America's Card Room. Okay, welcome to Ask Alex episode 109 on the oneouter.com podcast, sponsored by americascardroom.com. If you want 27% rate back from americascardroom.com, Simply sign up for your account by clicking on one of the adverts or banners on the oneouter.com website. Follow us on Twitter at oneouter.com and join Facebook group facebook.com slash groups slash oneouter. This episode and all other previous episodes are on oneouter.com website and via iTunes for free. Just search oneouter podcast. If you want to send questions in for Alex on a future show, then the best thing to do is email questions at oneouter.com. You can tweet them or post them in the Facebook group as well. Alex, episode 109, Thursday evening, Scottish time. And, oh, I forgot to tell you off air as well. Our clocks go back this weekend. All right. So we'll, you'll need to, we'll need to, like, sort out our time. I remember one year. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I don't even want to do the math or think about it. Just uh-huh. now it's weird. <laughs> yeah. uh, we, we will sort that out later. But uh, anyway, uh, how have you been? What's been happening? And uh, all the all that other news that you've got for us. Well, I your, was, your week. Yeah, man. I was helping my buddy here before he went to China. But now, <laughs> now for us, Jocka was here. And I played, man, I've had a couple fun weeks, but like crazy weeks. Because I got this live poker 101 thing. And that's been a blast. But every week I have to do a webinar, right? Which I also, I, I kind of like because it's good training, you know what I mean? Like how to produce content really quickly. And good content too, right? Because my, uh, my, cl- my, uh, my students, they, they're pretty bright people, you know what I mean? If I'm mailing it in, I, I get the idea they're going <laughs> to know, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I, I'm doing, well, anyway, so Jocko, like, you know, a couple weeks before, he was like, hey, I'm going to come into San Jose. And I was like, well, this will be awesome. It gives me kind of an excuse to see everything in Costa Rica. I'm probably not going to be living here. Uh, you know, exclusively in the next couple of years. I mean, I'm, I, I would like to have a home in Costa Rica, but you know what I mean? I, I got to get on the road. Now, it, there's like uh-huh. two live tournaments a year in Costa Rica, and there's like 2,000 in the USA, and I have a, U, a U.S. passport, so this would be a pretty weird decision, right, to stay here. And uh, yeah. But, yeah, anyway, uh, Jaka, he's like, okay, I'm going to be there, and – I was like, cool, we'll use it as an excuse to do all the tourist stuff. And uh, I just completely spaced what day it was coming. So I realized on a Thursday, I had to get everything done for one of my live poker 101 episodes because on Friday I was showing Jocka everything. And then I ended up working the entire night. Like I got done literally at like 6.32 in the morning. And then I was like, well, time to grab a shower and hop in a taxi and show jock around costa rica and like we literally you know we went up to the mountains and like a volcanoes and you know like the old street markets and uh i showed them like the traditional food and stuff like that i was gonna show them like the old jazz club here but i ended up crapping out and just going home but it was 
I have not pulled an all-nighter in a very long time. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm. Like, those are, those are brutal, man. <laughs> like, how do we do so many? I mean, I did one or two of them when I did do a semester of school. And I mean, like, of uh, junior college, you know, and uh, took, took rivetingly difficult, rigorous courses such as philosophy and uh, Asian history. But, like, I did, a, I did a lot of all-nighters when I was, uh, I was in high school because in high school there was a lot of poker games going on, but at the same time I had to keep up my grades because, I don't know, it was just a given to me. You had to graduate high school, if nothing else, right? I knew a lot of people who had graduated high school and gone on and done a lot of things, but a lot of guys who had dropped out of high school, that was just kind of like a bad thing to put on your application. So I, I was pulling all-nighters all the time. I pulled two all-nighters in a row, right? Or I, actually, I guess I never did, but I, I'd be awake for a long time. And But now I'm just like, man, I'm so old, Barry. <laughs> like, I can't yeah, do it, man. It's brutal. I mean, I, <laughs> even just like I was talking about it, I think, on the last show, coming back from Vegas, the jet lag. That's oh, like, God. I, I've been back nine days, and that just the last two days, is me just starting to get into Scotland, right, like, right. sleeping my routine before I went. Like, really, it's taken me a week to, sorry, and even, like, last night, I fell asleep on the couch watching uh, Fright Night, 1985 horrors, uh, horror film. Nice. And uh, I was watching that. I fell asleep, like, 30 minutes into it, and then I woke up at 2.30 a.m., and I was like, oh, shit, don't tell me this is me. Uh, but I just, I went through to bed, and then luckily I got to sleep quick, and then I woke up uh, around 9 a.m., oh, that's so good, it, was, that's it was good, you know, it was like, yeah. right, but yeah, it's just, God, I used to do all-nighters all the time. Yeah, yeah. Like, well, you had friends staying over and everything, you would do it, we would go outside, sneak out, get up, and like, no good, come I back, and you'd be up. about that, yeah, yeah, me and my boys used to do that. the next day, and then yeah. the whole next day, you would be fine now, if you do an all-nighter. Oh my god, dude! I was the next dead. day afternoon. I'm I'm asleep. You know. Yeah, yeah, dude. I was dead. I was like, I felt bad because I was like, I I got to show. I mean, like, I didn't even tell them the first like hour or two. I was chilling with them and they didn't even notice. But then, I I mean, yeah, it's, it is brutal. Yeah, me and my friends used to just like walk around the city and like, yeah, I mean, just. It, I we would vandalize things when we got really bored. But I mean, we were just being idiots. You know what I mean? And then. Uh, one time I went streaking across a soccer game. That was pretty cool. And, uh, <laughs> I mean, we were just doing whatever, right? We were just losers, like, with no money and nothing to do. So we would get into, like, shopping cart races. Like, the Seattle's amazing for this. You have these random, like, paved hills, and we would find two shopping carts, and we would, like, okay, you know, everybody at the top of the hill, whoever gets to the bottom first wins, right? And thank God there was no cell phones or anything back then. You know what I mean? Because, like, you know, we would fall over, skin our heads and stuff like that. And then, like, yeah, and we would just be up all night, like, days in a row. You know what I mean? And we thought we were so cool going to Denny's and drinking coffee and smoking cigarettes. I remember that, right? Like, all the goth kids. And then you get older and you realize, what a loser. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, the cool kids at school, like, the kids that are, like, you know, with the it sounds like a shit stand by me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, well, it was like the cool kids in school. And the, by the way, the kids would kick my ass at poker when they weren't, you know, going out with the prom queen and being like, you know, the team captain in basketball. They, 
they went to bed at 10. They were up at five. You know, they were like real type A personalities. I'd be like, hey, you want to, you know, you want to smoke some bud with us? And they'd be like, what the hell are you talking about, man? I've got work today, you know? And then, like, I was like, huh, loser. And then, you know, that guy goes to a four-year college for free and gets like 100K a your job. And it's like, oh, yeah, that's why you study in high school. Okay, that makes sense. But, you know, when you're 16, 17, you just don't know those things. But, yeah, anyway, I pulled the all-nighter. That was actually kind of fun because, I don't know, it was, it was a good life experience, you know what I mean? Other than that, man, I've been, I've just been working a lot. I got another webinar I want to come out. So yesterday I, I did like the first 50 slides. I did the concept. I started discussing it with the business manager. Uh, today and tomorrow I got to work on live poker 101. But uh, no, not, not a whole lot. I saw a movie that I recommend everybody see. It's called Headhunters. It's not really ter a terrific movie. It's a Norwegian movie. So it does have subtitles the whole way. But if you could see a 90s movie again that was in the vein of Die Hard, like if it, you were looking for another movie to see on TBS with funny editing, this is like the weirdest Norwegian export. It's just such an ode to like all those movies like Die Hard and, uh, you know, just j really cheesy 90s action. You know what I mean? Like what was oh. it? Broken Arrow and all the yeah. John Woo movies. Like, yeah. this movie is a totally inconceivable face-off. That was another good one. I like yeah, it when they do the haircut yeah. during the surgery because, you know, the hair, is getting, <laughs> the hair is getting into the crevices of the face. Couldn't cause any problems. But <laughs> anyway, but, like, it is such an ode to those movies. And if you grew up in the 90s, this movie is awesome. And it is totally cheesy and ridiculous and makes – you know what I mean? Like, it just – there's a lot of scenes that are just stupid, right? But it was so fun. That's the only, that's the only thing I've really been doing that and like watching sports and working while I watch sports. I'm watching baseball, your favorite sport, Barry. And it's, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, it's the most exciting that boring game can get right now. It's the World Series at the end. Chicago has a chance to win it for the first time in 100 years, which is, I don't know. I don't know the what Cubs, the, isn't it? The Cubs. Yeah, the Cubs. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, exactly. I, I don't know what the equivalent would be of that in United Kingdom. This would be like Ravenclaw winning the Griff, uh, you know, Ravenclaw winning the Harry Potter Cup or whatever it is. But yeah, I don't know your equivalents in soccer. Anyhow, let's go. Uh, let's go, man. We got a lot of questions. I've not, I've not, I've not seen any Harry Potter. You films, haven't seen any Harry Potter films. No. No. Don't you want to hear? Uh, like, uh, you, you, don't you want to see? That's like one of the biggest exports from you. I mean, I know you're Scottish and like you guys don't want to be from the United Kingdom, but it is one of your biggest like exports. You haven't seen it? Yeah, I think J.K. Rowland's Scottish as well. Oh, she's Scottish. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, I think. So. Uh, you, oh, she lived in Edinburgh when she wrote it. I think she is Scottish. England ought to uh, ought to claim her. Uh, that they're trying to claim her, man. You got it. Yeah. You guys got to get on that. She's got to be. Uh, no, my friend told me to check them out and stuff, and I was like, yeah, but I just I. It passed me by at the time that they all came out. Right. So now there's like seven films of like a kid wizard that I'm thinking, well, it's, you know. You know what I mean? I'm just a good fan of, I love to read. Like I, I counted up all the books I read the other day. And it was like, oh, since the years I moved into this house, it's been like thousands, right? And like, literally, like I don't finish all of them, but like I finished like 150 of them to be perfectly honest. But I, I would read like 25%, 50% of a lot of books, skim them. And it's like, the Harry Potter books just have you from page one. They're just so well written. 
Barry. Like I would really, I don't. But I mean, here's the thing: you're an adult. I don't read. I don't read fiction. Exactly. That was what I was going to say. I was like, you're an adult. You have a business. (laughs) People always do this crap that I hate, where it's like, how dare you haven't seen? I don't know. What's a series I've missed? I'm trying. I'm trying to think. What's a series everybody brings up? Mr. Robot. How dare you haven't seen Mr. Robot? I'm like. Dude, I got a job. You know what I mean? I got two jobs. Like, I, I'm working all the time. Like, when I don't want to pay attention on my off hours. You know what I mean? So yeah. I, I, do, I do watch a lot of crap and waste a lot of time. <laughs> stuff. That's not really... That's kind of like... That's a cop-out if I say I don't have the time. I mean, yeah, I've sat this watch. last week... Yeah, you just I've been watching Yeah, I've been watching 1970s and 1980s horror films. Yeah, but those, dude, those are bad ass. You know? Dude, those are... Uh, remember Phantasm? Was Phantasm the one from the 70s? The... I've not seen that yet. It's on my oh, list, okay. so I know it's a classic. Okay, there's a scene there that's seared into my childhood. I just want you... I Okay... For anyone who's seen that movie, there is one scene with a bench press, and there was a child playing on a bench press at my gym, and I, like, that movie still has me so scarred from my youth, this 70s movie, right, that I ran to the, like, owner of the gym, and I was like, somebody's got to get their kid, that's going to kill them, right, in a vivid fashion I'm already imagining because of this stupid movie, you know what I mean? It's amazing what an effect those old 70s, 80s horror movies have on you, you know what I mean? Once you, How many times do you remember a scene from, like, Final Destination or even, like, a crappy horror movie now? Yeah. You know what I mean? By the way, the garbage guy's coming by, that's it. That timer is like, all right, you guys need to shut up about movies. Get yeah, get on a question. No, but it's true. I even watched a, a movie recently that I watched as a kid, and I was like, wow, you know, I, re- I remember that scene, and it's still really, like, ingrained. Right, and, yeah. It's just- and, like, and, and actually, I remember, like, some scene of, like, some random... There was this film, right, I remember uh, renting out, and, like, the kid pissed the bed in it, and he was scared of clowns, and I couldn't figure out, like, what this film was called. And I was like, Googled it just the other day. Yeah. Like, I, literally, I literally Googled uh, Kid Wet's Bed <laughs> and, and is Scared of Clowns, 1980s movie, right? And I found it. It's like oh, 1988 wow. or 1989. It's called Clown House. Oh. And it's about these like mental patients that escape and there's a circus in town and they like sneak their way into... So it's just really like weird film and freak. And I remember renting out. I only watched it once. But I can still remember these scenes. It's because you watch it at a young age where you're so impressionable. It's engraved, so right? It's ingrained. It is. It's yeah, like the Freddy yeah. Krueger films for me still. Yeah, Halloween. Freddy Krueger is just like, yeah, movies. Halloween as well. The Scream you know? movies were like, I think the first scary movies I saw. And I saw them at like a friend's house because uh, my dad would take me to go see Face Off when I was like 10. But my mom wasn't having any of that, right? My, my dad knew what was up. He was like, one day you're going to like crappy action movies, Alex. So we got to get you started. But no, I, I remember seeing the Scream movies and like, I didn't know you could like hang a person by anything in my childish. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> if you remember that movie, they hang a woman by her intestines in the first 10, yeah. 15 minutes. Furthermore, it's the biggest actress in the movie. So, like, yeah. I wasn't expecting it, and I, I remember that having a profound effect on me, <laughs> like, being really weirded out by life. Scream was after. great. Scream was, was awesome. I don't care what anyone's... I never saw Scream 4. Was Scream 4 just trash? I, I, I need to remember. I've, I think I've seen them all. I think I've seen it, but I would need to, like, be memory job. Yeah, you know? exactly. It's like, I can remember the other one. I think I can remember two. 
and the one when they're in the cinema and stuff and oh, the guy yeah. I remember certain yeah. scenes, but yeah, the first one as you know, as most things is, yeah, is the most the, the terrifying yeah. one, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Alright anyway, all right. Yeah, let's get into questions. I tweeted out that this episode was going to be random questions. Well, we only did 20 minutes. Yeah, we're, we're, we're unscripted. That yeah, proves that it again. Proves so let's get, into, <laughs> let's get into questions. All right, this one is from Michael Chang. And as always, uh, I'm going to read them out verbatim. It saves me making notes as well. Nice. Uh, so God forbid, God forbid I you do some prep work before you show up here. Yeah, and, and God, God, God forbid that there's ones. Remember the guy was like, I'm in this amount of debt, but don't read it out. <laughs> I was like, I did three minutes ago. But we took that out. We edited it. Yeah. Um, okay, this one is from Michael Chang. And the question is for a podcast regarding country tendencies. Hi, Alex and Barry. Keep up the great show. Somehow it just never gets old hearing Alex talk for the one millionth time about the Seattle garage with no plumbing. (laughs) (laughs) I have a question for the podcast. It revolves around country tendencies. Maybe you could discuss that a bit. I know you have touched on it, but it's a really interesting topic in my opinion. And And Alex, as you deal with so many nationalities, you might have something interesting bits to share i'll start off for instance okay. brazilians uh no this isn't me this is yeah, still the guy is, i just yeah. figured that out okay yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh just in case this is really racist or whatever i want to like <laughs> you know because you know, nobody loves mexicans more than me you know? <laughs> um for instance uh brazilians i'm going to generalize hugely but the population as a whole is much more on the field side of playing in my opinion they got a lot they go a lot after timing deviations than others and are sort of big on these dynamics. If I take a few extra seconds to open, you can count on the Brazilian reg to immediately take the spot. I think it's a pretty obvious exploit, but versus general population, it works well. Right. However, they don't do a real job in keeping their exploits sort of in check, not breaking the ATM, as you would say, Alex, and get in trouble more versus better opposition. Right. So I would generalize and say that Brazilians are less strong theory-wise and a bit too spewy, or to be more precise, their exploits are not coming from a place of sound understanding of how the game should be played at equilibrium and intentionally deviating, but it's more like that's all we know type of deal. In MTTs, not so bad, however, because it's usually better to err on the spewy side than the other way around. So the idea is that some cultures' countries are more suited for excelling in poker because they have a sort of great balance between both. Um, I don't know if you want to take some of there. He does go on a bit like more about some other, and if, if you want to chirp in, I mean, yeah, yeah, the reason yeah. I'm reading it verbatim, like, I'm joking, I have read this out, but I think it's important. It just shows us again, like what you say, our listeners, like we really appreciate it. A lot of them are very switched on guys, the majority actually. Right. And they take the time to like send in these really thought out questions. So I just always feel I should read it out. But if, if there's anything you want to jump in just now, oh, yeah, you might. I mean, uh, I mean, the big thing, uh, one of the things that really helps me with understanding the, each nationality's, uh, the, it, how they play poker, is something he touched upon, I'm really glad he touched upon it, is education level and willingness to speak English or ability to speak English. Now, you kind of see this in chess as well. Like, uh, I, I don't know the first thing about playing chess, but I like to study chess masters because... There's a lot of wisdom that they impart that is very relevant to the professional poker player. But uh, 
it kind of reminds me of a time back in my garage with no plumbing. No, I'm just kidding. But, <laughs> it's, uh, but like, uh, uh, I, I mean, there are like some of the best chess masters in the world are like the Brazilians. They're very feel based, right? They're kind of allowing their subconscious to uh, coalesce and come up with something that perhaps their first mind or mind number one, I guess, is uh, they discussed it. Uh, what was that one book? Uh, anyway, there, were, there was a book by an Israeli gentleman that was thinking fast and slow. They talk about like mind one and mind two. Sometimes mind two can come up with something your subconscious mind that mind one doesn't understand. And I, a lot of like playing by feel will cause mind two to develop your subconscious mind to develop. So that is one thing that Brazilians have going for them. Uh, I think there's a number like if we had to rank like 20 of the best like empty tiers right now, like you know, guys you would put your money on to, like, make a good deal of money uh, at, like, an MTT marathon session, I would put my money on at least, like, two Brazilians, which is pretty significant when you think about they only have about 200 million people from, like, the 7 billion on Earth, right? But at the same time, uh, yeah, it, uh, in general, not having that educational base will make you, subs- like, the average guy is going to be a little weaker, right? So, it, like, they... I hope that makes sense. Like, if you play more by based on feel, the chances for you to develop a very subconsciously aware sound person. Like, Fraz Jaka, I was always the guy, like, teaching him all the math stuff and the basics. And some of the stuff, you know, it was clearly stuff he should have learned three years before he met me, right? But it, I don't I'm, – I'm trying to think of anyone in our circle of friends who I would bet against on Fraz Jaka, and I can't really think of anyone. And that includes most of – like the best players, right? Like I've seen him destroy. Like I, I mean, I've sat by the table where when he's playing with Victor Blom, and he's like, <laughs> you know, like he just destroys that guy, right? Like I mean, the one time I watched him, right? I'm just telling you from my personal experience. Like Fraz Jaka is like a lot of Brazilian players in that maybe he doesn't. He, he now he's worked very hard to get like the a- educational base. Uh, I mean, like, I think he picked his friends pretty wisely for that. Like, that was all I was into because I knew I didn't really have, like, Faraz Jaka's skills and we hung out a lot. And, uh, yeah, I mean, not that he, like, picked his friends for those reasons, but I I think he did ask me quite a few questions and, you know, get a lot of information when he could have, and I thought that was pretty smart. But, like, the general player that is not book smart is going to be a little bit less than the guy who, the, the culture that is book smart, right? So, like, if we were just picking guys out of a, you know, if they were like, okay, we're drafting people for our team, these 10 are Germans, these 10 are Brazilians, right? The best player out of that 20 could be the Brazilian. It is more likely to be the Brazilian, right? If they've been playing, if all of them have been playing for like 10 years, right? Are the most like unpredictable in like professional competition, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, But generally I'm going to draft from the Germans, right? Because the average player is going to end up being a little better, right? Now, so this is really interesting because, like, this separates countries quite a bit. Like, Brazil, uh, not a lot of English taught in the schools. Uh, I, in, if anybody says that's racist, um, I, my father is married to a Brazilian. I've spent a lot of time in Brazil. Uh, I always need to speak. <laughs> I, I, I can't speak English with anyone there, right? Like, I, I'd always have to study Portuguese before I showed up. And uh, whereas, like, Portugal uh, speaks English like the average person speaks English in Portugal, right? So the Portuguese players are a little bit more 
like if they learn from English language sources, they're a bit more like, uh, you know, more like traditionally. Uh, it, that's the other thing is most of the teaching materials are in English for so in order for you to be a book smart player, you will have to be able to read English. And this is where Russia is very interesting because Russia is like, it's a very studious culture. It's a very like education center culture, but not a lot of willingness to speak English, but they've become book smart with other books that like now they're the other language. Like I have to Google translate Russian pages, right? Just to see what this one guy is thinking. Right. And I'll, I'll be honest with you. I haven't done that kind of research in a while. It's been a lot of just, you know, life has been, you know, throwing me one pitch after another at my head. But <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it, when I was about it, you know what I mean? There's a lot of stuff you end up translating. And, you know, like uh, so, th so this makes like the Romanian and like Italian markets like different. Right. You know, as opposed to like uh, mm. a a as opposed to, say, the English market. Right. Or the German market where most people can speak English. And uh, there's also, I mean, you can also just make a judgment based on what kind of people they are. Like, uh, like uh, Irish players are obviously speak English, right? But they're a little more wily than a lot of other players because I think that's just kind of celebrated in Irish culture. Like the guy who can say smart ass comment that's a little crude is like the star of the pub when I've been there, right? Whereas if I say the same thing in America, it's like, bruh. That, that was racist, bruh, bruh, bruh. I, I, I did not find that funny. I was like, what, uh, what, what? I just, I used the word in Spanish. That, that's all I did. And it's like, yeah, but bruh, we don't like that here. All right. Like, you know what I mean? You have like conformist cultures, like a lot of American culture can be. And then you have cultures that oddly, I think like, you know, like just trying something new is not, I, I, I one of the toughest tournaments I've ever played it has been with Irish players because like they just, even like the 70 year olds will just do the most random thing if they feel like it. Right. Whereas you just don't see as much of that, like in the States. Right. So mm -hmm. it's a, you know, it, but it's an art, it's a real art. You really have to get to know people. And I don't think you can have like negative opinions of anyone. You have to be seeing their positives because if you see their positives, you'll know what to look for. Whereas when you're looking for their negatives, that's just, that, that's just creating a laundry list of reasons you don't need to pay attention, right? You know what I mean? Like, that was something I was kind of alarmed by in his initial email was – it was something like, well, you know, they're just not – it wasn't, like, book smart. It was just, like uh, – it, it was something along the lines of, you know, like, just not a real understanding of form. And it's like, well, that may or may not be true, but it – like – to me, I, I don't even think of that because it, it's not going to assist me in any way, right? And then it's a, I think you got to make a list of what they do really well, right? Which is, and I, I think he kind of touched on it in a negative, which is they don't, they kind of break the ATM a little bit. But the way I would put that in my head is like a willingness to push things as far as they can, right? Perhaps to a fault, right? Which is, I think is a skill that many Americans are lacking, right? There's a lot of times Americans have like a great spot. I'd fall prey to this as well. Like I've tried to take over a hundred tables and it didn't work. Right. So you end up memorizing those times a lot more than when you just kind of soared, you know what I mean? And then because those times are a little fewer, but there's sometimes like I got to pick up the speed a little bit and I won't do it. Right. And by the way, these are all generalizations. I, a lot of times I play with Brazilians in the United States and they're just super nets, right? Like they're just, 
they've done pretty well on Brazilian sites because they keep it pretty honest and pretty close to the vest, right? And, uh, yeah, and then, of course, there's on the other side of the spectrum, like, broke the ATM, ripped it out with the wires, put it in the back of the Buick, and drove off into the sunset. You know what I mean? But, yeah, anyway. All right, all right. Okay, all right. I'll, I'll, fin- I'll finish his email. Yeah, anyway. all right, cool, cool. Um, for instance, uh, so he said, just to summarize, so the idea is that some cultures, countries are more suited for excelling in poker because they have sort of a great balance between both. For instance, take the Germans like Frieder Holtz. I think he is not the greatest theorist, but there is, there is, but he knows his shit. Right. And besides that, he has great intuition. That combination makes him excel at poker. Right. It must also have something to do with culture demographics, in my opinion, as German people are pretty analytical in general, right. uh, general, have great work ethic usually, and are not overly sensitive. The obvious counterexample is Mediterranean people <laughs> are generally... Are generally are generally a bit too emotional, like Italian, Spanish, and South Americans. Um, and then he's got um, maybe you could share some of your thoughts on some of the other demographics, like Russian players. That's funny. You just said that, and you've not seen the question, Alex. Oh, so, that's cool. Uh, so we answered that. Um, well, I mean, one, one of the got it's quite funny. Sorry, go ahead, go ahead. My two bad. seconds. I'm just finishing his email. Uh, yeah, he says, P.S. Not trying to offend anyone. I'm Asian, so call me a degenerate gambler spew monkey all you want. <laughs> uh, take care. Bye. So that was quite funny. Only, yeah, only if you're being fun. amazed. Oh, God. Sorry I said that. But no, I mean, uh, all, all the Asians I grew up with in Seattle were Vietnamese. So just by default, every time I think of Asian gamblers, they're Vietnamese. But, and then they would, oh, my God, at Tulalip, they would kill me. But yeah, anyway, uh I mean, all this racial stuff is pretty, I hate to, I hesitate to use it, like to discuss about it because I don't want to be known as the racist guy, you know what I mean? But at the same time, it's something I use every single day. And then it's like, oh, like, does that mean like you profile like if on the street? And it's like, well, no, I, I don't really think about this when I'm not at work, you know what I mean? But another thing I wanted to say is, uh, I'm going to trash my own culture now just to, just to get back so y'all know I'm being real with this. But, like, how feelings-based is the culture is a really big thing. Adam Krula pointed this out. He was like, watch the it, car insurance commercials now in the United States, right? And I, I was like, okay. So I turned it on, and it was like, this is Asian chick in the front, kind of, you know what I mean? She's a, She's like... I had a car named Brad. Brad went with me with two breakups and two jobs. I loved Brad. And then Brad got hit by a car. I didn't know what to do. But then, whatever, paid out to me. And I did my happy dance. And it was like, what? You know what I mean? Like, what are the fees, right? Could you imagine showing that to Germans, right? Could you imagine Germans watching that ad? They'd be like, "I, I don't understand should I get this car insurance or not? What are the rates, right? I looked around. There was no rates on the, on the thing. It was just like they really thought a majority of the American public, especially my age group, millennials, would react more to I did my happy dance than, hey, this could save you $239 or something like that, mm-hmm. right? They, that, that's what they believe, right? Now, so I think Americans a lot of times, I think Americans do pretty well at poker because we started with it, so we've had it for more time. Uh, I think there is parts of the United States that does celebrate individualism, uh, like studying on your own, trying to come up with your own methodology. Not even studying, though. Like, I mean, I remember it's cool now in the States to say you studied, 
But, like, I remember growing up saying, like, I got to study this more. And people would be like, studying? <laughs> you know what I mean? Whereas Germans have that culture of studying, right? And then, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, and it, I, I don't think as much of, like, a feelings-based culture. You know what I mean? Like, I, I'm, I'm sure emotions run high there at certain times. But it's not like, if you watch the presidential campaign, this is, I, I mean, this is another point Adam Carolla made. This is so feelings-based now. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're not talking policy like at ever. It's like, she has a name, Donald Trump. And it's like, oh, yeah, honey, like you really care about women's rights. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's, it, it, it's bizarre. I, I don't know. Anyway, and on to the next question. That was good. Okay. Okay. And the next question is from regular listener, contributor, and retweeter, Rehards Dobelis. What's up, Rehards? And a uh, question. Hey guys, question for Alex as per usual. I know you advocate not to open big offsuit cards that much from early positions, and you also advocate opening minimum 2.5x, which I'm doing on a regular basis. However, what can you comment on Ape Styles play in a much different style? I know that he does play those big cards from early positions pretty much at majority of tournament stages and the later stage in a tournament. Uh, it is the smaller size he is using for his opens. It is something you can see in his card runners training videos and also when I had the opportunities to play against him I would see the same thing. Do you think he is wrong with doing what he is doing? Does he know something that you don't know or do you disagree with him playing like that? Regards, Regards, Regards. Anyway. <laughs> no, uh, well, okay, something you got to remember is Ape Styles is, like, if you were draft, drafting like a top five all time, online tournament players, uh, Ape Styles has to be somewhere in that list. And I, I'd be very confused if he wasn't, right? And uh, I, so Ape Styles can do, you know, whatever Ape Styles thinks he can do, he can do, in my opinion. I, I think he's that good, right? Now, that being said, okay, let me tell you where I came up with this. I didn't pull that uh, idea out of my, oh, there's my dryer. See, see we have dryers here. In Costa Rica, Barry. Barry's got to hang up his laundry to dry after this. He's uh, like a gangster. But uh, anyway, no, I mean, uh, uh, like, essentially, I, I think with uh, Ape Styles, it, the, what I think about it, sorry, I, I'm trying to get my thoughts together here. The way I came up with that wasn't like I played a lot and then I thought, okay, I don't like opening those hands because I don't really trust that, that, that methodology, right? Because you could just run – I mean, I, I have – I look at databases all the time, like every day. Uh, not every day, but every day I'm coaching. Like, hey, you played 200,000 hands over a year and you ran, ran bad, <laughs> you know? Like it takes a while to get the run bad out, you know what I mean? You got to stack up a couple million hands, right? But what I've done is I've looked at databases, some near a million hands, and you can do this on Hold a Manager. Just put uh, Hold a Manager, more reports, and then there's, uh, I think it's like pre, a pre-flop, and then you can just do hand groupings, or it's somewhere there where you can do hand groupings, and it'll show your average profits with every style hand. And something I've noticed is right when you get to the suited two gappers and right when you get to the unsuited big cards, you stop turning a profit. And you can, do, you can do some specific filters. And these are very talented players that I've run on this, right? You know, obviously, I can't, like, see, like, the top 10 empty tiers, right? I'm guessing they can make it profitable. But what I'm 
noticing is even some of the guys I would put in like the 99th percentile of online players cannot make it work, right? So I'm going to gamble and say you can't. And I can say I can't, right? There was a time I could make that work. If you watch my old EPT episodes, I was raising everything from everywhere. And that was because back then I could make that work. The, the field these days is too talented. So I have to humble myself and recognize, you know, and I looked over my own database and found like suited one gappers I was making a small profit from. But it, it, you also have to consider this is so much work for so little profit, right? How much better would it be to, as opposed to playing eight tables and trying to micromanage every suited gap or spot to make two, you know, like another extra point three big blinds per hundred, right? How much better would it be to play 16 tables and just drop out the suited one gappers? You know what I mean? That's the ultimate money-making question that I don't hear people asking, right? Now, I'm going to assume since most of my students are, you know, I, a, lot, a lot of poker players like to play too many tables or they're just learning the game. I'm just going to drop out the suited ga gappers in the big cards. That doesn't mean it can't be done, Uh I do, like, if you watch me play, like, I'll open those hands when I think the table's soft and stuff like that. But you would be making a much, much smaller mistake never opening them as opposed to always opening them. So that's, uh, you know, ape styles is ape styles. You know what I mean? Like, when I watch ape styles, there's a lot of stuff I can't do, too. You know what I mean? He's just, he's better than me, right? So I, I, I should try to learn his methodology, but I can't, I can't just imitate him based on, you know, a very surface area thing, such as the starting hand selection. I, I need a much more deeper understanding of no limit hold'em and something that, I mean, I'm 10 years in, I'm still searching for. So I'm going to gamble and say a lot of you guys aren't there yet either. Okay, so any, anyways. Yeah, I, th I think the key thing is we're all not Ape Styles or Alex Fitzgerald. And as a rule of thumb, what you're advocating and saying about big cards and stuff is, is sort of, at over X amount of games right. is going to be a good way to look at it. Yeah, yeah. It's a starting block as well. Exactly. You know, it, you know. It'll keep you out of trouble if you're grinding for a living. It's going to help you a lot to stabilize things. But by yeah. all means, like once a week, like play at lower stakes and try to play those hands to see if you yeah. can do something, you know what I mean? But don't turn that into, okay, well, now I'm going to do it with the Sundays, you know what I mean? Like, and yeah, just run out the clock, you know? But yeah, anyhow. Anyhow, moving on. Okay, so Alex, uh, I'm going to give you a choice. Uh, you want to do one about three bet pushing versus stealing, or about uh, alternate income streams? Uh, let's do both. I I I can probably do the okay. technical one okay. fast. All right, let's do the technical one first then, and finish on the other. All right, cool. Um, okay, this one is from Eskil Raitan. Um, and hi, a three bet pushing versus steel. Hi, I have been following your podcast for a while now, and I've got to say I'm loving it. I have a technical question for Alex about three bet pushing. Been playing around with the equity calculator for a while now, Good. and figuring out I can push ridiculously wide versus button steals. Mm -hmm. For instance, let's say I got a twenty big blind stack in the small blind, and we assume the button opens forty percent of hands, which is my default opening range. If I push, I got the uh, big blind call in top 12, 7% of hands, and the button call in top 18, 6% of hands. With this setup I got, plus EV push with just over 30% of hands. However, my question here is, should I go for every little edge here, pushing ace 2 off and queen 10 off, for instance, 
got plus 0 0.03 big blinds EV, or should I have some kind of rule to only push hands that got over 0 0.5 big blinds plus EV, for instance? A big thanks in advance and best regards, Eskil. Um, you, you know what? I think this is... Okay, to give you guys like the full answer here, uh, because I, I always try to let you know, guys, like when I, I'm not the best for a question, but I, I do think I'm pretty proficient in pretty much all things No Limit Hold'em. But yesterday I was, uh, I was writing a new webinar. I don't know why I'm not announcing it, but yeah, it, it's going to be called Test Your Poker 2. Uh, we're doing Test Your Poker 2. It's really fun. It draws a lot from Master Poker with one hour a day. And uh, it, there's a lot of like using the filters to find similar hands that I test you on so you can keep testing yourself after Test Your Poker 2. But it, it, anyways, I was running some fun filters, right? And then I figured, like, man, I haven't, like, looked at my database in a while. And I haven't, you know, I mean, it's just, it's been a few months, right? And I was like, by the way, doing all this coaching, I, I've been able to, like, look really deep. A lot deeper than I used to, right? So I was like, you know what, today I'm going to be making this webinar. But I'm also going to dig through a bunch of filters I haven't done. And what I found was I'm pretty solid, which is about what I would have guessed. I'm pretty solid with most things No Limit Hold'em. I'm not a spectacular overachiever but i'm very competent the one thing i identified i was very surprised by i looked into a lot of like stack size stats and then i separated them by dates my rejamming ranges have not been up to snuff my win rates should have been a lot better with them right now generally your win rates go down as the stack size goes down because obviously there's much less than implied odds and a lot fewer opportunities to use your chips because of how immobilized you are with the lesser stack size but it was still a little below that. So I was looking and I, I did identify I wasn't doing enough rejams. And so I used to say, now here's the thing. I don't think that used to penalize you as much because a lot of the stuff that I talked about in why Pasegno is right uh, used to work quite a bit. And uh, there, it, it's also, if you take out a little of this stuff on PokerStars, uh, which is what most people play, and that's where the majority of my hands came from, even though it's my like, least performing side by far. Um, PokerStars really rewards cashing and doesn't really reward first place nearly as much, right? So if you, fool, if you fooled a few of those where your edge is like 0.1 or 0.15 big blind, right? Uh, it's not really a big deal. Uh, and, and actually, it might benefit you in the long run. However, if you take that same strategy across to like America's Card Room, where there's quite a bit of money paid out to the top performers, it's really going to hurt you, right? So, uh, and especially if you're like folding with like a point two, if you have like point two or point three, that's as good as it gets. You need to get the money in, right? You should only be folding like point one big blind, point one five big blind when, you know, the table's just like monstrously bad. I, I mean, you should only excuse me. You should only be playing that. Uh, like you should only be playing that if like the the game is like pretty tough right like those very small edges but like 0.2 0.3 you cannot be folding anymore i i'm convinced the game is caught up quite a bit more uh it's probably my weakest area that i've identified recently uh there was a lot of times i was passing on this and i i've never thought i was doing this too much because my default is toward aggression right it wasn't enough in a lot of spots right so you know, if you see like a little bit of an edge and the table is a little tougher, which I think is a lot of the time, I, I think you should go for it. I think the numbers, the, the few numbers I've seen shows uh, it's a little more necessary now. So 
yeah, you know, good luck to you in that facet. And good, good on you figuring it out, man. Good, good for you. I need to, man, there's so many things I need to study, Barry. It's so tough, though, because I end up just, you know, I study a lot of stuff on my own, but it's hard for me to study other people's materials because if I can't, like, make a webinar based on it, and I can't because it would just be stealing, right? So I have to discover all this stuff on my own. And, like, you know what I mean? But I should take more time to, like, research and development, you know what I mean? But, God, this live poker 101, man. (laughs) uh, No, every week a two-hour webinar and then an hour question and answer. That's a... that's a lot to prepare for. It's like, it's like preparing my sermon. You know what I mean? I've got to prepare my sermon on the live pokers. All right. Alternative income streams. Let's go. Okay. This one is from Adrian McHugh. Hi, Barry. Adrian McHugh here. Used to play in the casino in Dundee with you. Long-time listener of the podcast. Episode 105. One of the best yet. That was the one we were talking about being your own boss and stuff. Right, right. Uh, cool. Dropping knowledge, as you called it. Uh, thought of this when listening to it and thought you might be worth sharing. It was quite funny. He posted the link to the Mexican fisherman story that me and you have said. So if you haven't checked out, then yeah, go, go and check that story out. Um, also, if you guys haven't covered that already, can you ask Alex how he deals with variance and if he has set up other income streams to counteract possible downswings? Keep up the good work. Actually enjoy the non-poker content as much as the poker content. Thanks, Adrian. Yeah, I was thinking, I've heard, okay, that's like the 230th time I've heard that. We should just start, like, I was thinking of doing, I mean, this is something I should really talk to you off the air, but I was thinking of, like, the Alex Fitzgerald podcast, and we just have you and Chase Bianchi and Sky Matsuwashi and, like, a lot of, like, contributors, you know what I mean? I know you don't roll out of bed for less than $10,000, but maybe out of the kindness yeah. of your heart one day, Mr. Chalmers, you could come on the show and we could BS about crappy 70s movies because, you know, we never get to do that right now. But uh, <laughs> anyway, um, no, man, uh, I'll tell you, I mean, I, it was really weird to announce my divorce on last week's episode, you know what I mean? But everybody's been super polite. I just, I wanted people... Well, it's one of those things. I don't like lying to you guys about anything. And I felt like I was lying. You know what I mean? How you doing, Alex? I'm doing chipper today. You know what I mean? Like, it was yeah. just such a load of crap, right? And, uh, but no, uh, recently I went through a divorce. Um, it was super amicable. Um, my ex-wife is still, like, one of the nicest people I know. And she, you know what I mean? She, she was kind of like, look, this didn't work out, but I want you to pursue your dreams. And I, I love you so much. And I hope you... I hope this works out, right? You know, and she didn't like, it was as easy as a divorce could get, right? I'm just letting you know, like, it could not have been easier, right? And it still cleaned me out, you know what I mean? Like, just cleaned me out, you know what I mean? So I, I've had to really check out on my revenue streams and stuff like this. And I'll tell you this, you need two things. You need savings and you need revenue streams. Now, my savings were a little light when this started, right? You know what I mean? You do that thing where it's like 10000 in a bank account. I'll never be in trouble again. Ha ha, go through a divorce. You will, you, you will go through five figures pretty quickly, right? And uh, I, I, you know, I cleaned that out, but what saved my ass was other income streams. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's just a lot of different things. Like I'll list the ones that I have. Um, uh, webinar sales. Uh, we're going to really make that income a lot more passive, too, coming up here with uh, 
I have a new website that I'm developing. I don't know if I'm I'm allowed to say the name because another guy came up with it, my business manager. So I'm not going to say that one, right? But they, it's cool. It's cool. We have another site coming out where we're just going to streamline all the webinars and it's just pay-per-view. You can download everything set up. You can watch it wherever, right? We're setting something up like that and that'll be cool, like passive income. Honestly, something I should have set up like two years ago, but the technology, uh, we're using Vimeo and like Vimeo, technology just became super good for that right so you can make essentially your own you know like download portal your own like little youtube and uh we're doing that uh you know i have passive income from like rake back uh i knew that was going to be a long-term game the thing was uh with most websites they do this thing where it's like you can sign people up and you get 30 percent of their rake back right and i was like well i don't want to do a deal like that because uh, you know what I mean? Like, you guys should offer a little something to the player. You know what I mean? Like, uh, other than like a chipset or some of the offers I had, right? You know? And then America's Cardroom was like, you know, I'm not going to say the percentages, but you're going to get a much smaller percentages, but your players get a lot. And I was like, well, that's the deal everybody's going to want, right? So the first like one year, two years, I was doing that, getting you all set up on the rake back. That wasn't that much. But then eventually those, you know, that ends up being a nice little sum every month. And then, you know, it, uh, the articles come out to a lot, it, it, the card runners videos, my webinar sales, uh, that kind of income. It's not very passive, but it's really saved my ass. Cause I, I'll be honest with you guys. I'm broke right now. Like I, I got money. Like I, I'll tell you why I'm broke because, uh, I had to take my mom for a little, uh, surgery recently and, you know, poor thing. Uh, I, I, she, everything went fine. Right. But like, you know what I mean? Like, here's the other thing, by the way, I pay for health insurance here in Costa Rica, but like, if I wanted to wait for the doctor that was going to do that procedure, it would have been three and a half months. And then they, they might just look at my file and go, Oh, she's not on your plan. Cause you forgot to dot this eye. So, you know, get out of here. Right. So I have to take her to a private clinic. So I've just paid my health insurance. It, it, you know, and then I got to take her to a private clinic and then, you know, uh, on top of that, you know, not just health issues, but, you know, like <laughs> the divorce and everything like you can get cleaned out real quick. You know what I mean? And that's I'm going to be just fine because I know myself and I'm banking on myself and I'm working real hard. I mean, I'm not taking time off. Right. Like if I'm if I'm rela like I might spend like 30 minutes reading in the morning, but like if I'm watching a baseball game, I'm also working on my laptop. I'm not taking time off. I can invest in myself. But one of those things I want to say is you got to work smart. Uh, one of the things I did in my marriage that I'm not really proud of was I, I spent a little bit more money than I probably should have been spending. I, I was doing the whole like I want the suburban house. I want the wife. I want the kids and everything, you know, and. I lived a little beyond my means. Well, that's all it takes. You know what I mean? So then you have two checks you can cash, right? You can either work smarter. You can get passive income. You can get additional re revenue streams. When you do get some money in, you can say, hey, let's not buy the big, you know, uh, <laughs> let's not go out and buy a car. You know what I mean? We can stay with your little car and let's just put this money in savings. You know what I mean? So just in case anything happens or something like that. That's the check you can cash. What you're talking about here, Mr. McHugh? Was that the Nate guy's name? McHugh. 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 Yeah, McHugh. Well, well, M C H 
M-C-H-U-G-H. So okay, we yeah. say McHugh, McHugh. There's a badass pitcher with that name in, uh, <laughs> in baseball, so hopefully it's him. What's up, man? But, yeah, anyway, no, I'm sure he plays all the time in Dundee once he's done with his job in Texas. You know, but, uh, yeah, anyway. No, it's uh, essentially that's the first check you can cash, what this gentleman is discussing here, passive income savings. Or the other check you can cash is your work, right? You just work 60, 80 hours a week, and you always carry yourselves through it. Well, I was really able to provide a very good living, but I was never available. You know what I mean? Mm. I was just constantly not around it. Worse than that, when I did have off hours, I was in another planet. You know what I mean? Because I was so exhausted. And, you know, that's pretty tough for, like, a spouse to deal with. You know what I mean? And that's pretty... Uh, it's pretty tough for me as well because at some point, you know, you take some time off and it's like, you know, your wife comes in, ah, playing video games today. What's that supposed to mean? You know what I mean? You just, you start going off about dumb crap because one of you is overworking and underpaying yourself. You know what I mean? And that, I mean, like, I'm not going to say, like, there, there was a lot of stuff that came up over the last couple of years, like health concerns and, you know, and, and a lot of other stuff. That, I mean, a lot of stuff I'm never going to get into on the show, but it certainly didn't help my marriage. You know what I mean? So it's not just a matter of it's not just a matter of do this so you can have money. I never really understood that. I just kind of I had this really stupid thought where the more you work, the more you make. And it's like, no, the smarter you work, the more you make. Right. You can either do a thousand personal lessons like I did, or you could get a thousand people in a classroom and do one lesson and have the exact same effect. You know what I mean? And it's uh, more or less the same effect. And I, I just worked stupid for a lot of years. Now, I got a lot of practice for that, and that was real good. But you know what I mean? Be smart about it. Because I, I finally have gotten smart about it the last, like, six months, obviously. You know, right as everything goes to poop. But uh, it, it's been it, – it saved my ass, right? Like, essentially, I am doing a lot better right now because I left myself a few income streams. You know what I mean? I found a few ways – uh, to get myself paid, you know what I mean, Out, outside of everything. And that takes a lot of work. And by the way, everybody with poker, they expect this is going to happen in like three years, five years. Like, man, you got to be relevant for a long time before you start developing the type of business I have. You know what I mean? So, like, people do this thing where it's like, man, I've been coaching for like two years. I had a couple guys win this and this. I'm like, good, do it for another eight. You know, people might pay attention. You know what I mean? You want that, like, passive income stream. you got to be working all the time. I've written hundreds of articles for free, done hundreds of videos. I, I mean, hundreds of videos, yeah? And it's just been it, – it, it, you finally develop that income stream. It's really nice, but you have to – the other thing is, like, if I sell books on Kindle, I'm pretty sure they'll sell pretty well now because we had the best seller uh, with the Method Poker Talent, and I can still put that on my author page. But, like – that took years and years to build up. People think like, oh, bestseller, you must have written a pretty good book. And it's like, well, not really. I've just been relevant in poker for so long. And people have been reading my articles for so long. And for four years, they've said, if this guy ever writes a book, I'm going to check it out. Then, of course, all those that's a lot of people that are going to pick up your book when it comes out. It has nothing to do with how, you know, it has nothing to do with how good the book is or not. It might, I believe the book is very good, but I, I think we haven't seen that wave of sales yet, the word of mouth sales yet. You know what I mean? I think we've just seen all the people that have been reading my articles for all those years. So it takes a lot of work. It's worth it in the end. I would really advise 
you not like get the wife and the kids at that time if you can do that, right? You know, because I, I mean, I just had to work like a rented mule before all my incomes. And now my like passive income is like pretty good, right? I mean, like it's it pays a lot of my bills and then some. I, I figured that out because there's been a, a, an emergency a minute the last like six months, right? And uh, yeah, you know what I mean. That's uh, it, that that's it, it, that's really where the place you want to be getting. Sorry, we uh, <laughs> uh, cleaning something and it uh, uh, it dropped something. But yeah, you got any, anything to add, Barry? No, I mean it's all. It depends on what you're coming from. If you're a professional poker player, this is your sole income. It's very time consuming. You know, you got yeah. you don't make money unless you're playing at the tables. Right. And like you said, I think the coaching, the reason that you've done so well with your coaching business and stuff, is purely because of the work you've put in. You know, right, a right. lot of it is that. And over years and years, like you said, you wrote articles for you know whatever just to do it and yeah. just to get exposure. Whereas a few people come out, win a little bit, and then all of a sudden they want to be coaches and stuff. And right. it's like, you know, like any coach, you got to look at the track record. I would just say try and find something you're interested in as well, like little side hustles and business. There's lots of good books. There's one called The $100 Startup. Um, there's another book like Tim Ferriss, our friend Tim Ferriss is always good. Yeah. Uh, Four-hour work week and stuff, just to get you in that mindset thinking. But yeah, you could literally, with technology today, I mean, as I say, I've done, you know, like, my own business, like, for ever since I can remember, like, related to something. And, like, the difference in technology from even 2005, 6 oh to now. Oh, my God, yeah. Um, when I was first going to China, <laughs> uh, it was, uh, we had these little Hewlett Packard iPad things. That you could, they were like iPhones, but they weren't phones, right, and right. they didn't have 3G. You needed Wi-Fi, and like when we were in places buying things, if if we had just to have mobile internet at your fingertips, um, anywhere you go is such a huge benefit. It is yeah. unreal, um, and yeah, just that you know you can still blog and write about things or vlog as it's you know do your video things on YouTube. Something that you know about, that you're passionate about, you want to talk about, and then, you know, you can do this AdSense thing. I mean, it doesn't pay a lot of money, but you can make a few extra hundred dollars a month that might mount right. up to something right. at the end. And, well, and if you and then, like 10, you say, 20 things like AdSense, right, like, yeah, eventually yeah. it all adds up, you know. Yeah, affiliate programs, you can do poker affiliate stuff, you can do Amazon affiliates and stuff like that. I mean, even just getting friends and family, if they're ever buying anything, you set up an Amazon affiliate account. And I think you make five to ten percent of what they buy, and so right. you know. So there's, you know, if you want to put the work in and do all that, and and you got it. But um, yeah, it's hard to when people talk about passive income because that's a term I think that gets bandied around a little bit too yes. much, and people yes. people take it too literally. Like passive, yeah, but there can be a shit ton of initial work to set yeah, up, exactly. and also maintenance as well. Um, Tons of maintenance. Yeah, to make it, to keep it going, you know. It's like you saying, doing a webinar and then just passively sit back. Like, no, if you're not promoting it, and if you're not promoting it and promoting where people can buy it, like and old doing episodes free webinars well, and, and doing free webinars and stuff, yeah. yeah, then it just, you know, try getting found on the internet now, you know. Yeah, exactly. No, I mean, to, to compare it to like what I say, it's like when I sell stuff on eBay or Amazon, etc., and people say, oh, the fees, you know, 20%, 10%, 15%. I'm like, yeah, go and try and set up a website and just let 
let let people find you and see how yeah, much yeah, you actually you know yeah exactly. it's like people you know people don't want to yeah, pay we gotta for, pay we gotta pay a lot of money uh up front to get like this vimeo pro account and stuff like that but like literally yeah. it's on the phone with the business manager and he's smart as hell right and he was like you literally do not have another choice right and i was yeah. like you can do what i've been doing which is like selling cassettes out of the back of my car for four years it's like okay here's <laughs> you know here's this private server i have now enter this 57 digit password and you you can download it right and by, yeah. by the way that password lasts for eight hours and 21 minutes so hop to it and Firefox might block you because they might think this is a virus from China, but you might want to, you know, so you might want to do this from Google Chrome. But yeah, I mean, it's either that or a site that looks as good as like eBay. Is it, what are you going to pick? You know what I mean? Yeah. And then, yeah, anyway, well, the other thing I was going to say is like, this is always the stuff I feel bad about when people talk about passive income, like Tim Ferriss. I mean, to be fair to him, like you read the Tim Ferriss book and it's like, here's how to go from zero to one. Uh, another good book I've heard, by the way. But here's how you go from zero to one, but there's this missing ingredient in there, right? Which is what are you going to provide, right? Yeah. That people really want. Now, informational products are really big, you know what I mean? I I didn't really realize that, but that was kind of something Carlos Welch told me. He was like, man, it, informational products are a big thing. You have a real head start on a lot of people, so you should be focusing on that, right? He didn't say it in those words, but he made a real good point. That was what Tim Ferriss was always bringing up, right? And I had, a, I had an in on this industry. And I think that's something that people don't realize, which is you got to, to make money, you have to help people. Like you have to make people, like people can support anyone they want now. It's so wide open there. So you got to help people and show them there's a good reason for them to want to support you. I didn't even mean to do this. I just like writing for the sake of writing. But if you've been reading a guy's articles for two and a half years and then he has like a $50 webinar, you feel like, oh God, I mean, how much this kid's done for me? I'll check it yeah. out. You know what I mean? As opposed to, hey, who's this dude selling a $50 webinar? 50 bucks. I don't even know his name, right? And yeah. uh, But people, you know, when we talk passive income, nobody talks about the two and a half years before the $50 informational product. That never gets mentioned, right? But I think it's, you hit the nail on the head, which is you got to find something you enjoy. So like some YouTube guys, it's like special effects. That's what they genuinely love doing. It's something, follow your work ethic, as Mark Cuban said. For some guys, I mean, uh, I I heard a lot of those guys who were like the pickup artist crew, like made a ton of money out of that because that's something only a few people specialize in. Not a lot of men have the moxie to go up to 3,000 different women in a year mm -hmm. and learn from it, right? And it, it, like that, you know, I think that's kind of a stupid and like <laughs> immature thing to specialize in, but it worked, you know what I mean? There's a lot of guys that will pay $500 to go to a workshop because they're genuinely terrible at talking to women, right? You got to think about what do people want and what can you specialize in? If, uh, now I could write about video games, and I mean, here's the thing. I started out as a writer for video games and music and stuff like that. That's what I started doing when I was like 14, 15 years old. And I did get paid for it in high school. But it hit me one day. There's 10, you know, there, there's 10 million people that want to be like video game journalists, right? And there's only, you know, a couple hundred million people reading this. And it's just not a big market and there's not enough jobs or anything like that. So if I ever want to make any kind of money and I don't want to work like 90 hours a week, 
You know what I mean? Like, that's a lot of work to get the head of a very small industry. But you want to talk about, now with poker, I, I didn't really think of it this way, but you want to talk about, like, poker coaching, the average guy can understand, but also appeals to the very high-stakes player. That's something very difficult to develop, but I, I've found a way to do it, and that puts me in a category of, let's say, four people. Now, you know what I mean? I, I get to name my price, essentially, and, oh, my God, dude. I mean, this is something even Socrates talked about. You need to specialize in something, right? You need to be of service to others. That's the only thing that really makes you happy in life. Like, people do this crap, like, oh, if I was better looking, uh, I I would be much happier. It's like, well, if you're better looking, you never know if somebody really likes you for you or likes you for what they think you can provide them, right? If you have a ton of money, it's a lot lot harder to trust people. I was miserable with a ton of money, right? Uh, A lot of people come around that you haven't seen in years, and it's like, yeah, yeah, what do you want, man? You know, it's just constantly, you, you, you know, it's really hard to pick some people don't even realize their, you know, how much that affects them. But once you start uh, losing money, a lot of people aren't into it, right? And then power, you know, power is really hard to maintain. But being of service to others was what a lot of great philosophers believe makes people happy. And thanks to capitalism, you can get paid from that. But the thing is, is you need to specialize in something. You can't just be the jack of all trades, you know what I mean? It's cool to dabble in different things, but... I have picked one game. I've played a lot of different games. I grew up playing Pot Limit Omaha. I grew up uh, playing No Limit Hold'em Cash, a lot of No Limit Hold'em Cash. I chose one day to specialize in tournaments because it is what I enjoyed most. I followed my work ethic, right? And I I had to put a writing dream on hold. I I have several manuscripts I've never published or never, you know, it just didn't work. And uh, I put it on hold because I knew... You know, if I didn't move into this market, somebody else was going to move into. Now I have the freedom to pursue my goals because I learned to specialize in something. This last four or five years running that business has not been easy. You know what I mean? There's been a lot of work, a lot of work on the ground. But now you have something set up for probably a lifetime. I wouldn't be surprised if I was still coaching people when I was in my 40s. You know what I mean? That's something... I've established myself as one of the go-to guys in that, but that took a lot of groundwork. It took a specialization. It took something I could follow my work ethic in. So, yeah, anyway, okay, I think I finally got my idea out there. Okay. And uh, that was a rampart show with questions, so we went through that word. Yes, sir. Um, Okay, Alex, how can people help you pay for your divorce? (laughs) Uh, No. (laughs) <laughs> no, it's I'm already paid for. <laughs> yeah. I, well, how can people help you get out the shit after your divorce? <laughs> yeah. really... Now, how can people get in touch with your uh, for? Uh, I know, actually, I think you stopped the coaching again just now, haven't you? Yeah, it's been a uh, God. Live poker one on one is kicking my ass. I mean, it's, yeah. it's a good ass kicking. I like the pain. Anyway, it makes yeah. me feel so, alive. How can people get in touch with them for your webinars, products, and jump into your funnel? Yeah. And, uh, that's not a euphemism either. So. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, uh, yeah, be sure to sign up for the newsletter, PokerHeadRush.com. Ignore the dreadful-looking blog site. Just uh, sign up for the webinar, and you will get emails. I do have another free video coming out here pretty soon. So if you want to get that free video, it'll probably be out tomorrow. So you got to kind of sign up today. It's a free video on how to study while you're playing. Uh, I, I have that going up today or tomorrow. Uh, you got to sign up for that newsletter. Uh, if you want to write me, it's alex at pokeredrush.com. I check my email Mondays and Thursdays. So 
if you need something more pressing, write me on Twitter. Uh, I'll be sure to look at the message and, you know, get back to you. And uh, Twitter's really nice because people, like, you know what I mean? They have two sentences. So it, it's like, here's the problem. And it's like, okay. And then I write back in two sentences, this is the solution, right? Whereas with emails, I mean, this isn't anybody's fault, but you just have unlimited reams of paper. You know what I mean? So you can just get in wax poetic for years. But yeah, anyway, Twitter. Hit me up on Twitter, at the Assassinato. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's, uh, that's pretty much it. If you are looking to bring your live poker game to the next level, we are in the middle of a 10-week class. Uh, if you want to sign up now, uh, write me at alex at pokeredrush.com and, uh, and yeah, I'll send you all the relevant materials. I'll send you like the free examples we have. I mean, if, if you just want the free examples, write me, right? And, uh, yeah, I, it's, you wouldn't miss anything either. Like I'll send you an email with just all the download links and you can just catch up, right? You can have a motivated Sunday where instead of watching football, you can watch some poker and learn something and make some money and make some passive income within 72.6 years. Anyway. Uh, yeah. And, uh, I think that's about it. Yeah. You know, write me, check it out, check out my blog, pokeradrush.com. Yeah. It's a good point on Twitter. You said that actually it limits people to, be a bit more concise and not ramble on and get get right, the, which I'm know, guilty of as to, well, right? You know yeah, what I yeah, mean? me too. But it's funny how, like, with all the technology and power and the internet, it's basically text messaging. Yeah, you know, exactly. Online. Yeah, it's, it's, it's funny. Well, it's so funny. But you can text anyone, yeah, kind of exactly. thing. Exactly, text cool. anyone. Yeah. I love it when I call people and people are like, "What are you doing, calling me?" Right? <laughs> I'm like, uh, I had something I needed done in 90 seconds, and if I, you know what I mean. But yeah, anyway, okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, keep your questions coming in uh, for Alex. I don't mind the old school email, uh, the long form, um, unless it is. Yeah, try and limit it to you know not 140 characters, but <laughs> you know, don't send pages and pages and pages. Um, keep them coming in. Questions at oneouter.com on email, or you can tweet them to me at oneouter.com. That's at o n e o u t e r d o t c o m. Or post them in the Facebook group, facebook.com slash group slash one outer. Uh, thanks for writing in this week. Glad to get through a lot of the questions. Keep them coming in for next week. Until then, thanks for listening. Cheers. Cheers. Every day at America's Card Room, players just like you are scoring big in record time with Jackpot Poker. Jackpot Poker is a super fast three-player online poker set and go. You pick the buy-in, and after all three players are seated, we randomly pick the jackpot. Yep, just three players. No more, no less. And for most jackpot poker tournaments, it's winner take all. Imagine turning a $40 buy-in into the ultimate $100,000 game of poker. Anything could happen with jackpot poker. Play it now at America's Card Room.